0: Good morning. Good morning. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm ringing, so probably uh, somebody's going to have to. I'm not going to make the mistake Luke said, like, did did last week and and announced to everyone that I'm really hot, but it's really hot. Thanks, Chase. Um, Good morning. I'm Kevin. And I'm one of the elders, and a lot of you know that, uh, but if you didn't know that, um, I, I teach from time to time. I get that privilege every uh, so often, and I'm really excited about it today, super excited about what we're going through. We're going through Galatians, as uh, Luke mentioned, and we've got, had a couple of weeks. Luke's preached on Galatians for a couple of weeks, and we're going to keep going until we get all the way to the end, um, from, one, from verse 1 all the way to the very last verse and it's um, it's really challenging uh, it's starting out that way and I don't know if you've read ahead but it gets more that way and so that's actually really good that's why um, Luke's prayer was awesome we really need the Holy Spirit to uh, soften our hearts to to make them to give us ears to hear we really need to hear this um, that's my prayer for myself I want to go ahead and start just by reading the passage we're going through today so if we could go ahead and get that up on the screen, it's Galatians, so find this in, a Bible, in your Bible if you have it, um, and we have Bibles on the back table as you came in that you can have if you want. Luke may have mentioned it, but you can, you can have it if you don't have one and need to take it home, or you can use it today. We're looking at Galatians 1, and we're going to start in verse 11, and I'm just going to start by reading this. I'm going to read it from verse 11 uh, to verse 24. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea uh, that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And that's the word of God this morning. That's the word of God this morning that's going to help us understand the gospel better, believe it more Deeply, and see Jesus more clearly. A lot of you know that I uh, am an art teacher. I mention it from time to time up here, and some of you know me more personally. A middle school art teacher. And and so, uh, lucky you, you get to hear all my little stories about back in the day, you know. So I hope to be one of those granddads that's still telling stories. I may get some eye rolls and sighs, but... I just interpret that as love. And that's how I'm going to interpret it from you. So one of the things an art student has to go through is art history. Now, art history was something I had to take in school. And history, in general, I really like. I I mean, after all, it's got the word story in it. So I'm already excited, right? And I remember as a freshman the first time I went into the art history room. And art history is a different kind of sector of the art department. It has its own little places. The place I was used to was the studio. They had generously allowed us to use the basement of the architecture building. The unfinished part of it. So there were bare concrete walls. I guess they were like those artists. We're not going to let them mess up anything like carpet and stuff. So forget that. They barely had air conditioning. It's hanging from the ceiling, you know. Paint splattered everywhere. That's what I was used to. Cold, lifeless looking rooms. But this uh, art history part of the, the building was different. It was uh, carpeted. And the, and the walls were... They had sound buffers, you know, made of varnished wood. It was a theater style, so the floor, there was a, there was a little bit of a, a grade in the floor. And, and the seats were comfortable. I don't remember what they felt like, but I remember them being maybe a little more comfortable than this. Maybe softer, I don't know. Everything was beige. It's a very beige room. The whole memory's beige. And I remember going in there the first time. It was 8 o'clock in the morning, so I barely dragged myself in there. I've got my coffee. I know that surprises you. And I'm thinking, okay, gotta, gotta, I'm looking forward to this. I kind of go in with a little bit of anticipation. We all did. I mean, we all filed in kind of like lambs to the slaughter, naively anticipating this Wonderful story of art that was going to unfold before us. That we were going to get to swim in and relive. And we were just going to, it was just going to be a beautiful thing. And I remember having these really positive feelings, these wonderful, as I saw, you know, I saw the projector in the back and, and, the, and the ray of light. The lights are dim because we're going to look at slides. And, and so the ray of light's got the little lint particles floating in the air. If you're in the back, you can smell, you know, they always have a fan, you know, they cool the bulb, mm-hmm. you can kind of smell that, smell people's coffee. Some of them over-deodorized that morning, so you smell that. You move over two seats nonchalantly, hoping it won't offend them, and we sit down in the room. Now, I, I wanna, some of you are real young, so you might, I want to just remind you what a slide is. I'm not talking about PowerPoint. I'm talking about a piece of film in a little plastic frame stuck in a little machine that goes around and around, and you look at the slides. And to my uh, disappointment, this was not what I thought it was going to be. Slide after slide after slide after slide after slide of times, dates, names, images that all ran into each other. They, they were all the same. I, I must have seen a thousand uh, Madonna with child. Yeah, they were different sizes and colors and... But they were all Madonna with child. I saw so many scenes of the crucifixion, some really bizarre ones. And they just kind of ran into each other. It sort of was like watching one of those morph videos that someone makes, you know, like they think that the kind of hip thing to do and where people's face changes to someone else's face. It was like the pictures were just changing from one picture to another, but it was basically the same composition over and over again. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Now, I think I might enjoy it more now. I'm a little more mature, a little. But let's go ahead and look at Galatians, okay? We're, we're going somewhere with this. So, so stay with me. Let's put up 11, verse 11 real quick. Let's start there. Now, uh, Paul starts out with, for I will have you know. You ever heard somebody say that? My grandma used to say that. And when she started a sentence for I will have you know, there was something she was serious about that was coming after that. I will have you know. Well, you better listen after that. And it was basically the same attitude that Paul was having here. He, he, this was not a pat you on the back, listen, I'd really like you to know something. This was I'll have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now just right before we're going to talk about what Paul's doing there, but right before that I wanted to I want to describe to you a particular art history teacher that I had. Now, she kind of reminded me of Maria. How many of you have seen the sound of music? No, guys want to raise their hand. Yay! I love the sound of music. So, Maria, right? Imagine Maria. But only imagine her a little bit, a little more cynical. Okay, a whole lot more cynical. Imagine her a little more hardened and a little more. Uh, a little less cheerful, but still, kind of Maria. And she kind of was like Maria because she really liked to buck the system. She kind of looked like her too. I think she even had a bag sort of like her. She kept everything in. And she, went, she walked in one day and she announced to us that she did not know what she was about to teach us that she did not know the subject we were about to learn from her. And she announced to us that we were going to teach this course to ourselves. Now, I wasn't really excited about this, because this reminded me of stuff I'd heard in some of my other education blogs. An idea that students would be able to construct their own knowledge. And that knowledge was not really something you could give someone. That it wasn't something you could hand to someone and they could take, but rather it was something that they could build on their own. And, and I was really having a hard time with that. And I'm not even making a comment on that right now, but I was really struggling with that idea. And this sounded a whole lot like that. It sounded a lot like... We were going to construct our own knowledge. And I had paid money, and I mowed lawns for that money. And it wasn't cheap, and I, didn't, I was thinking, I didn't pay money to teach myself. I could have done that for free, and I wouldn't have to come and sit in this room and try really hard to stay awake while the slides are going by. I could, I could have done that. So I, I was not excited about this. And, and, of course, I was seeing students turn to each other and kind of like, well, what, did she just say what I think she said? And, 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 and we started to realize, something started to, to kind of really set in that, uh, uh-oh, we don't know anything. And yet we're going to have to teach ourselves this course on Mayan art. This is not going to happen. I mean, this is not possible. I mean, it's starting to, the realization is starting to set in. Well, wait a minute. If, if I don't know it, and the guy next to me doesn't know it, and the teacher doesn't know it, we're not going to learn anything. <laughs> we're, no, this is not going to happen. Now, here are the two things Paul's doing in this, uh, and he starts in in verse 11. And we're looking at verse 11 and 12 right now. So if we could just go ahead and put that back up there and just kind of have it there for reference 11 and 12. Uh, and then throughout this whole passage of 11 through 24. So kind of have that handy in your Bible or whatever so we can kind of refer to it. Th- there are two basic things that Paul's really doing that this passage really accomplishes. So i want to start with the first one. Paul is describing his own call Okay, he's describing how he was called. He's and he's describing his call to big A apostleship. He's describing how that happened. Big A. I mean, that's just a you know that's a, a way of saying it that that distinguishes it from the spiritual gift of you know moving as an apostle uh, in the New Testament and and. Um, and now, nowadays, like people now may move in the gift of the apostle uh, through, the, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he's not talking about that. He's describing his own call. That's one of the things this passage does. So it's very descriptive, which makes it... Now I really love this part because it tells a little story. He tells a story. So he's kind of giving his history... And he has, he has mentioned, it says, for I will have you know, and he wants you to listen after that, that the gospel that was preached to me was not man's gospel. And then he says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. What? I used to just skim right over that. What, what do you mean, Paul? You weren't, no one taught it to you? And he's saying, no, no one taught me. Well, then how did you get it, Paul? Uh, From Jesus. He told me. Now, I don't mean Jesus told me through Luke. Luke came up and told me something, so I say, well, Jesus told me. It came through Luke's mouth. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul received a direct revelation from Jesus himself. Jesus is right here. Paul, hello, it's me. And why are you persecuting me? Face to face. Imagine that. You know, in Acts 9, that's where this is really described in full detail. Paul is alluding to it, and he's saying, remember my history. I was knocked off a horse, and Jesus himself came to me and gave me a revelation of him and his life to me. He gave it to me. Now, this is unique. This is different from you and me. This qualifies Paul to write Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. This is why he's qualified to write it down. He didn't qualify because he was so intellectual. Now we need to really understand that. We need to. We get confused about that because we really put Paul up on a pedestal, and it's really a pedestal. He doesn't want to be put on anyway. Uh, and we just—he was a really intellectual man. We understand that. I mean, we spent, people spend their lives trying to figure out one of his books. But we put him way, way up there because he's intellectual. Wrong. That's not what qualified him. That didn't qualify him. What qualified him is Jesus showed up in person and called him. Okay. So that hasn't happened to any of us in here. So we need to make that clear. Make that distinction. None of us are qualified to write authoritative, infallible, Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. We can't do it. Jesus didn't show up to us in person and call us that way. That didn't happen. So we need to understand that. That's a distinction. And Paul is making that distinction. And he's making that distinction because it needs to be made. So it needs to be made to the Galatians, but it also needs to be made to us. Because a lot of times we get the idea that we hear from God separately and Uniquely than the rest of everybody else in here, and that is not true and i 'm going to get to that uh, further now uh paul is is also putting himself with the other apostles okay uh so let's let 's go to um, thirteen and fourteen like go to the, go down to verse thirteen let 's see what it says here um, all right I want to read that yeah here we go uh for Okay, that's not it. I'm sorry. Um, it's in verse 18. He says, then after, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He describes how he went and visited the other apostles. Now Luke next week is going to get into that a little bit more about what actually went down and what Paul was thinking uh, why was he going and, and comparing his gospel to the gospel of the other apostles? But part of it was those other guys were also big A apostles. All those guys, Peter, James, all those guys. Why? Because they received a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself in, the per- in person right there. That, and, and the call that they were apostles and, and so they also, that qualifies them to write Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. Authoritative, infallible, Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. And Paul is saying, I'm unique like they are. That's what he's doing. Now, I'm imagining that the reason he's having to do that is because some people, you could infer that some people are saying that that is not true. What do you know, Paul. I didn't, you didn't walk with him like Peter did. You didn't know him personally. And Paul's saying, yeah, actually I met him one day on the road to Damascus, personally, and I'm called. And then he, he continues uh, later to describe his life as a testament to that. Now, before I get to that, I want to also kind of make a I, I kind of want to explain something because some people would say, "Well, how how is that? Um, what is that? How does that relate to like the Old Testament prophets?" I mean, Kevin, don't we have people now who are prophets who who now some people think no, we don't, but but I but I know that the, I, I understand that the Bible teaches that there is prophecy. Uh, A New Testament kind of prophecy. And someone might say, well, uh, don't they hear from God? And then don't they speak those words from God? No, they don't. Sam Storms explained this really well in his book. He's got a book, uh, The Beginner's Guide, The Spiritual Gifts. And he he describes it as a a prophecy in the New Testament. Someone who receives uh, a word of knowledge. And then shares it with someone. is really just, it, it, they're just relaying a human report. It's their report of the Word of God revealed to them. And then Wayne Grudem goes on to explain that, it, that it's a spontaneous, it's spontaneously brought to mind. They're just telling something that's spontaneously brought to mind. That's how Wayne Grudem describes New Testament prophecy in his big old fat introduction to systematic theology. And, and so that's what's really happening. That's not what happened in the Old Testament. Those guys heard the word of God. Take any of them, Jeremiah, Isaiah, any of them. They heard the word of God and they wrote down the very words of God. So they could stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And then what they said after that was what God said. And so that is what qualifies them for writing Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. We can't do that. I cannot say, thus saith the Lord. And then the words that follow are the exact words of God. No, they're not. Because that would put them in the same category as actual written scripture. And it's not. See, we already have this. We have this, thank God. And what Paul, part of what Paul is doing is inspiring all in us. The amazing fact that we have this revealed word of God here. And it was revealed... And he's saying, I, it's, I am an apostle, big A. That distinguishes me. And that is what qualifies me to speak the way that I'm speaking. I'm not doing it to, as, as Luke mentioned, uh, or mentioned, but described really well last week, that it wasn't to please people. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that we understood that. So, uh, what it should do then is... Um, it helps us understand that the gospel is not from man. So, the other thing that Paul's doing in this part, in this uh, little area is, of Scripture, is that, and let's put it up again. I'm sorry to do this to you over and over again, Trevor, but I want us, I want us to see 11 and 12 up there while I'm talking about it. Um, he says, I'll have you know that the gospel preached to me was not man's gospel. So the other, the other function that this little passage um, uh, does for us is it, it tells us that the gospel isn't from man. Okay, it's from God. It's his gospel. It's his story. It's his story. So it's not from man. And, and Paul's making sure we understand. So that's a truth. Now that does apply to you. So that part is, is true of you. See, what we were reading before, let's talk about before, they have called call to apostleship. That's descriptive. Paul's describing that. It's about him. It's not about you. This part is, the gospel is not from man. So it's not from you. So let's talk about how that kind of works. I mean, does this sound familiar to you? Have you ever heard thoughts like this? Have you ever heard discussions or read books or, or whatever? I mean, have you, have you ever thought this yourself? Um, that the gospel is, well, it's a way of explaining God. Uh, it kind of makes sense to me. That's what the gospel is. It's a way of explaining. It's a way of describing the higher power. It's a way of describing God, you know, the gospel. Well, that's not what it is. It, it, is it a way of discovering God? Like, is it, one of the, is it one of the ways? Yeah, we've got all these different ways to discover God, and the gospel is one of them. No, that's not what it is either. So if you don't know if you don't know Jesus this morning and, 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 and you're going, Well, I don't even I'm not even a Christian here, well that's good news for you. Well how's that good news, Kevin? Because it doesn't come from you. Because I'm just thinking if you're if you're sitting here and you're not a you know, you're not a believer, and then yet here you are here at church, you haven't found God yet. So and you're you're trying to discover him, trying to search him out and everything. So good news. All that, you know, the fact that you failed at that, that's normal. You're not ever going to find him. I don't care how much you search. You're not going to find him at all. He's going to come to you because the gospel doesn't come out of you. I don't care how much you soul search. You may find yourself all over the place, but you won't find the gospel there. So that should be good news to you. I mean, let's think about, let's think about um, how how we're found. I mean, another thing Paul does is he references, and I want to find exactly where he references it, he references his former life. Let's Let's put up 13 through 14. Let's look at that. His former life. Okay? Paul says. For you have heard of my formal life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He's telling a story here. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But I never found God, He studied more than anybody. He didn't find God. He didn't find Him. What happened on the road to Damascus? Was Paul out there on the road looking for Jesus? Where are you? Oh, there you are up in the air. That's not what happened. Jesus found Him, He went to Him, He brought the gospel to Him. So I don't care how much, your education won't bring you to him. Your searching will not bring you to him. Your tradition will not bring you to him. You you, you will never know the gospel that way. It will be revealed to you. It will be revealed to you. If we don't get that revelation from God, we don't get it. So let me tell you some more about what the gospel is not. It's not a set of moral standards to live by. With a fancy name. Gospel. A lot of do's and don'ts. It's not that. And Luke talked about that last week. So maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And you're having trouble with a holy life. Can't figure out how to be holy. Having a hard time with that. Okay. Good news sounds like bad news. You're never going to figure that out. You aren't. See, God, this is, a little, this is something that we need to remember. God actually cares about your holiness more than you do. He cares. He's passionate about your holiness, about you having a holy life. He's very passionate about it. He died for that. That's pretty passionate. He, he cares about it more than you. So don't try to please God by caring about your holy life. No, you, he cares about... Now, out of that, because he cares so much about your holy life, that you being holy and something that glorifies him, that he died for that, well, that's something to get excited about. Now let's work on your holy life. Let's work on your sanctification. Let's work on that out of that attitude. But don't don't think that you're going you're gonna to know the gospel more deeply by a list of do's and don'ts. You will not. Because Paul had do's and don'ts down. To a fine art. And he wasn't the only one. He didn't find God that way. He he did not come to know the gospel that way. The gospel is the story of himself, of God himself. It's his message. It's his message regarding Jesus, his son. It's his message to us. And it's revealed to us by his spirit through his word. Right here. That's, that's how he's given it to us. So, uh, like, you know, I mentioned prophecy earlier. If someone says, uh, God has told me, he's given me this word of knowledge for you. I'd like to share it with you. Well, it's not going to be contrary to this. If it is, it's not him. It's not God. God's not saying that. Nothing's going to be contrary. Well, I believe that God has told me, okay, is it different from this? If it is, He didn't tell you that. That isn't going to happen. So, after the frustration died down a little bit in the art history room that morning, the awkward silence after the teacher had announced to us that she did not know the subject she was going to teach us and that we were going to teach ourselves. After that kind of died out, we kind of bonded together a little bit. You know, when you go through something with people, a camaraderie starts to build. You start to, there's nothing, there's nothing like really pushing through something with other people to build community. That's what kind of happened. Because she gave us a series of assignments, and we started to realize uh, that we were going to have to go outside of ourselves to uh, do these assignments and to get the information. I mean, because we we, we had already realized we don't have it. It's not, none of us had that knowledge at all. So we could sit there and teach each other everything we know all day, but we weren't going to know anything about the Mayans or their art. We had to go to an authoritative source. And there were authoritative sources. People who've done research. Anthropologists, archaeologists, and art historians. And there are volumes of, of work about the Mayans and, and their culture and, and their art. And so we had to go to that. And of course, she wanted us to come back. You know, you're probably imagining she wanted us to come back and she wants to share. And, and, that, and that's kind of how the teaching would take place. You see, we didn't realize that at first. At first we were like at a loss. What are we gonna do? I mean, and I started really thinking about that, and and I realized, you know, my my teacher, who I was pretty ticked off at at first, I, I just was I was kinda ticked at her because I was like, I paid the money, and now you're not gonna teach me this is what you're doing? I started to kind of change my attitude just a little bit. I started thinking, you know what? She got all her information from authoritative sources as well. I mean, she didn't just come up with this stuff in her head, you know? I mean, she she had the study. And so, really, I was thinking, well, she's leading us to do that, you know. She's kind of, she's kind of leading us through that process. And so, we're going to be, we're going to be going to this source, and we're going to be getting our information from there. And it's not going to be coming from ourselves. And so, my attitude started, you know, I started getting a little bit better of an attitude. This happens a lot to me, a lot. I tend to resist uh, new ideas if they're not mine, and. They come from someone else. And I, and I usually examine it from every angle, try to find the cracks and the holes in other people's ideas. I don't do that so much with my own ideas. And it really kind of changed. I kind of liked it. I liked the change in me. Because before, basically, what I was, I was going in, and I was like, OK, I paid my money. You got the knowledge. I want it. Open up my head. Put it in close it up. Thank you very much. I'll move on. That's what, that was kind of my attitude. Give it to me. But she was making us search it out. She was making us find it. And she was making us realize uh, how very little we really knew. I mean, I had to get a lot of help from my, my peers. I mean, we were, we had to work in groups. Uh, I didn't even know where to begin. So I got with somebody who had had a little bit of art history before me, kind of knew some good sources I was kind of working with him. He was helping me go to the right sources so I didn't have to go through, through so many, you know. Um, now, there are a lot of implications about what Paul uh, describes uh, in, in, in verse 11 uh, all the way through 24. Um, lots and lots of them. But what I really want to focus on for just a few minutes are the implications to community. Because uh, as, as Luke mentioned before, uh, we are a church of missional communities that, that we really seek to be a part of the city, and to be a part of our neighborhoods, and to be a part of our workplaces, and to, and to be the church throughout the week that way. And at first glance, this, uh, this little passage may look like it doesn't really have a lot to say about community, but it actually does. And that's, that's normal of Paul's letters. So often there's, there's implications of community woven in and out of there. So I really want to get down to that, kind of some more practical things. Now, just as I said that Paul's um, description of his own life there and how he was called is a description, and it's not, it's, it's not something that's prescribed for us, that we are not to try to attain that kind of, that level in, of his unique calling, because we don't have that. We actually have this revelation here. We're not that kind of apostle. So let's think about some scenarios that, and this may sound familiar to you, in, in community. Uh, you might hear, and I've heard myself say it, I mean, many times, uh, well, uh, you come to a place and you're, you know, kind of a fork in the road in your life and you need to make a decision, and so what do you do? Well, you you, right, you rightly go to God in prayer, okay? I, I get that. Uh, we're told to do that. That is, that is something we should always do. And, and we should always be spending time alone with the Lord and, and enjoying that time alone. We should. Jesus shows us by example, that he did that often, uh, but but maybe you've heard people say, "Well, yeah, um, I, I heard god God has told us that that we need to do this, and, and and then you hear it and you think, Well, wait a minute, I don't know if that's really um, in line with the word of God, this written word of God. It sounds a little off, I don't know. If I tested to the word of God, I don't know if that sounds quite right. And 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 if you were to say that, well, are you sure that's is that really what God would have you do? And then maybe the response is, well, yeah. I, I mean, listen, we prayed about it and he told us. Or or he told me. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to leave the church and be, and I'm supposed to. Uh, you know, squelter myself. I'm supposed to like become, uh, uh, you know, a uh, a hermit. I'm supposed to uh, keep, you know, become an island to myself and keep people away. God has told me that I don't need to be in community. I need to be alone. Uh, it's just going to be me and Jesus. He told me that. Okay, so, but he didn't tell you that because that's that's not in line with the word of God. So what what we do is we tend to put ourselves in the Apostle Paul's place receiving that direct revelation from Jesus himself. Jesus came down and he face-to-face told me, this is what the direction I need to go in. No, that that's not what happened. What happened is Jesus came to Paul and, and, and the other apostles face-to-face and the prophets in the Old Testament and they wrote the Bible and then by God's grace and by his spirit, we have it in our hands. And so if it's not in line with this, it's not in, God didn't tell it to you. He did not. Well, things are really complicated; not always easy to figure out. Um, you know, Paul Tripp, in his book uh, uh, *Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands*, he he uh, he describes how we view ourselves in a really a, a really cool way. He he says that that we we perceive ourselves as accurately as um, a carnival mirror as in a carnival mirror. When we, when we look at ourselves in a, in a fun house and we look at the, the curvy mirror, that's about how accurately we see ourselves. Yeah, we see the image there. There's some accurate things about it, but, but it's, it's definitely warped. But so often the person right next to us can see us in one, from one perspective so much more clearly than we see ourselves in that carnival mirror because we've got all kinds of warped um, perceptions. And he goes on to say, I, I need you, he's talking to the community, I need you to know and to see myself. I need you to do that. I cannot accurately see myself. So, that it follows then, it logically follows, that since you can't see yourself accurately, you might not be hearing God accurately. You might be hearing him incorrectly. There might be some part of it that's good and right. And then there might be some part of it that is warped. How can you, how do you know? How, how do you fix that? Well, you and your community get the word of God out and you test it to this. That's how you do that. This revelation right here that God's given us. And so actually that's kind of good news because that takes the pressure off of you to, to have to go to God and then say, God, I need all the answers, please, directly from you. Please bring them down. I, I need them all. That's, that's, an, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And then when you don't get it, you're like, oh, I'm not praying well enough. I'm not, I'm not in enough solitude. I'm not meditating enough. I'm not, I'm not spiritual enough. I, I'm not getting these big revelations. Well, hey, relax. None of us are. We are hearing from God um, because He does speak to us, but He speaks to us His Word. All He's doing is reinforcing His Word all the time. He's pointing us to His Word. He's pointing us to His Son. He's pointing us to the Gospel, and He wants us to help each other do that. So to hear God accurately, we need each other. We need each other. Now that's a huge implication on community right there in Galatians that, that we may not have even known about. Now, as I'm closing here, I'm getting close to closing. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to that, that that story about the, you know, the, the Mayan art history um, class. I didn't take a lot away f- uh, away from that. I'll be honest with you. I, didn't, I don't remember all the things that I studied. I don't remember, I don't even remember all, I just remember some, you know, turquoise-looking mask here, wooden mask, and you know, some of them are beautiful, some are scary. Okay, I kind of—that's all just a blur to me. But, but I do remember one thing that really stands out the most. They had a view of the afterlife, like a lot of ancient civilizations. They had a—they had a, a view and a, and a belief system that about the life after this life. And I remember thinking that 's a sad view of the afterlife, because now they, they varied uh, you know from from location to location and time period to time period but but I remember one in particular where when you died and were, and you and you were living in this afterlife that life it was it was actually scary it was a place where you had to fight for your uh well-being you had to fight to get up to a higher level of the afterlife you were fighting and and the gods were uh they had a nice side and then they had a mean side and the mean side was mean toward you like you know and they they would be mean to each other and 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 you were kind of fighting some of those gods and and then and i thought what a wow what a thing to look forward to when you die and as I was thinking back, and I was preparing for this this morning, I was thinking about the contrast between that and the gospel. And, and I realized that our afterlife starts when we are born again. And you think about that. Because Paul mentions a former life, doesn't he? He's not talking about reincarnation. He had a life, and then now he has a new life, an afterlife. So a lot of times we think of our afterlife as starting when we die. Actually, no. It starts now. Like it starts as soon as Jesus, as the Father is pleased to reveal his Son to you, and you and you trust Jesus for all of your justification, your salvation, your approval, your everything, you just and you believe the gospel. That's when your afterlife begins. And guess what? Scripture teaches it doesn't get worse, it gets better. And you don't have to fight for it. Jesus already did the work on the cross. So our motivation is different now. And there is uh, one of the elders at Soma in Tacoma uh, said this, and I, I can't remember his last name. His first name is Abe. And he described that motivation so well. And I just want to end with that. He said, the real gospel motivation for change is that you've already been radically changed.